Well, we are going tonight to one of the most famous passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. You know where that is? It's not John 3.16. But First Samuel 17. <laughs> the Psalm 23 is, is a good one. And it talks about the good shepherd. We'll see the good shepherd described here tonight. A good shepherd. A good shepherd. 17. As we are finally to the story of what's commonly called David and Goliath, what I like to refer to it as David's God versus Goliath, because really that's the focal point of the story, what God does through his servant, uh, David, and David's heart for him. God's able to use that. So we saw recently, again, we've been introduced to David, his anointing in the wake of the failure of King Saul. Saul's still king, but it's only a matter of time. He's been rejected as king. Um, David has been anointed as king, although he will have quite a ways to wait. He does have the spirit rush upon him. He's filled with the spirit, and Saul loses that. We also talked last week about this strange uh, situation where this evil or harmful spirit probably sent um, rather than from a demon, from a messenger of God, an angel, some sort of um, spirit of terror, of fear uh, that God brings upon Saul. And even in that, God offers Saul grace by providing the newly anointed king who's been anointed with the spirit to come play for him and help comfort him. And so it says Saul was refreshed and well, and the evil spirit departed from him, at least temporarily. Fortunately for the rest of Saul's life, I think in one sense, he's plagued by some things like this, because sometimes he just, some people call it uh, acting irrationally. And we're going to see a lot of the actions that Saul has don't always make a lot of sense. And it's because he has been rejected by God because he rejected God. But David, however, has a heart for God. And this is where we really see this. Although, remember, we were um, introduced to his character by one of Saul's servants. And I'll read that for you again um, from uh, chapter 16, verse 18. He said, he's a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. That means he comes from Bethlehem. He's skillful in playing. Um, he's a mighty, valiant man, a man of war, and prudent in matters or, or able to speak well. Um, probably has the idea of speak wisely or prudently, not just not an orator, that kind of thing, but he's able to be discerning in his speech and speak wise words. He's careful and wise in his speech, and he's pretty handsome, too, of the Lord. And the Lord, most importantly, the Lord is with him. And that we will certainly see in the narrative this week and probably next as well. Um, the uh, Wilsons had to take an emergency trip over to Maine uh, to deal with some property issues. And Bill was disappointed that we were to this point. So he said, don't get to the good part while I'm gone. Um, we'll see how we do here. I can't promise anything. But um, Anyway. We have a young shepherd, David's God defeats a giant. So the Philistines gather together their armies to battle. The Philistines are still a major force here, a major dilemma. 
with the Israelites. Probably some time has elapsed between chapter 16 and 17. At the same time, I think there are aspects of that last part where David is playing for Saul that I think took place over a period of time. It wasn't just that the first time King Saul invited David into his place of residence to play for him, that that first time immediately Saul says, wow, you're such a good liar player, harp player, and I'm going to make you my armor bearer, and I'm really impressed with you. No, it would have been over a period of time. We don't know how long, weeks, months, as Saul, as David played for Saul, Saul recognizes David's good character and is impressed by that, finds favor in Saul's sight, and he eventually makes him his armor bearer and uh, comes up with a permanent, more permanent arrangement for David to be with him sometimes and then also to go back home sometimes to help his father. And we'll see that tonight as well. So all of that to kind of help us get chronologically where we're at here, but this probably takes place where we're at now um, over a period of time, enough for David to be more of a young man rather than the boy that maybe he was when he was first anointed. We don't know how old David was, but he was probably an early adolescent when he was anointed, if not a young boy. Now he's more of a middle-aged to um, older teenager. We'll get to that in a minute. But the Philistines are still active in this and antagonizing Israel. But the Philistines are just are about ready. They're merely going to play a supporting role in the drama here that is about to take place as God shows his power in an amazing way through a faithful servant. So Philistines are still a problem. Saul and his army prepare for battle, and they're making their plans for yet another military confrontation. But this one is going to be far different than anyone that they have expected or have dealt with before with the Philistines. So let's continue to read verse one. They gathered together the Philistines, their armies to battle, and were gathered together at Shoko, which belonged to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Azekah in Ephes Damim. Isn't it fun to try to pronounce all of these different words? That reminds me of something. Um, Arden, could you go get the map that's in the back of the battle? It's toward the middle there and pass that around so we can see the map. If I can't pronounce these towns, at least you'll be able to see on the map where they're located. So um, anyway, and Saul, verse 2, and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah. And set the battle in array. That means they drew up the line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. So the opposing forces are really on opposite hills, and in this geographic location, they're across a dry riverbed, kind of staring at each other. And when we start, when we normally think of the story of, of David versus Goliath, I think sometimes we think that Israel, as soon as, before the battle even begins, that they're just fearful and that they're scared of the Philistines. But we see here early on in the battle that Saul is preparing as normal. There's no fear evident here. They're getting ready to battle the Philistines. They're getting, they're, they're, they're getting their armies together. Um, they're preparing for war, both sides. Israel's ready to go. Saul's ready, um, preparing for battle. 
making plans for another military confrontation, all of this. But one thing happens here that none of the Israelites or King Saul would have expected. All of a sudden, as they're facing off on these two hills, there comes out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines, verse 4. And his name is Goliath of Gath, which is one of those Philistine cities that we've talked about before, where actually the Ark of the Covenant had traveled through, whose height was six cubits and a span. Wow, that's tall. Do you know how tall that is? That's actually probably around nine feet, nine inches. So don't, on one hand, don't think like in the cartoons, like Mickey and the Beanstalk, this huge giant that lives up in the sky or whatever. Not like that, but this is a tall guy. This is a taller guy than anybody that you've ever met, most likely. And there might be a few folks that are in the Guinness Book of World Records that might come close, but Goliath is not just tall and skinny. He's big and brawny and tall. He's a big guy. And he's able, with his strength and his power, to wear a very heavy um, outfit of armor. He had a helmet of brass, really think of bronze, upon his head. And he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels. Folks, that's over 120 pounds. That's a lot of brass. And he had greaves of brass. That's bronze armor upon his legs. Think of shin guards. Okay. Metal shin guards, bronze. And a target of brass. This has the idea of a, jav a javelin, a bronze between his shoulders, kind of slung over his back, um, ready to go. And I don't know if you've ever seen, this also might be in my study here. I don't know if you've ever seen those uh, Middle Eastern scimitars that you see, the curved swords. Possibility this could be something like that too. We don't know for sure. But then the staff or the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. On top of this javelin of bronze, he also has a spear. And even the shaft of the spear is like a weaver's beam. It was thick. It was huge. And his spear's head weighed 600 shekels. That's over 14 pounds of iron. I mean, this guy's ready to go, decked out, ready for battle. And then one bearing a shield went before him. So he's protected with an armor bearer, too. Um, and he stood and he cried or really shouted until the enemies of Israel and said unto them, why are you come up to set your battle in array or draw up for battle? Am not I a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? Obviously, he knows who King Saul is. And by the way, remember that King Saul is the tallest Israelite in the land. And still, uh, he's not intimidating to this Philistine in particular. Even tall King Saul is no match for Goliath in and of himself. Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. And if he is able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. So uh, here comes this huge nine foot, nine inch tall giant of a man named Goliath. And it says that he is a champion. That idea of a champion has the idea of someone that is able to take on others in one-to-one -one combat and basically render the need for an army useless. A champion means someone that's able to fight for the whole army and win. 
And so this is something that the Israelites probably have never encountered before. One guy that's able to take on anybody and win. So the rest of the army has barely has to do anything at all. Not only that, but remember this description, he's totally covered in metal armor. Now for the Israelites, that would be terrifying. Why? Because they didn't have any metal. Remember, even the description we had of King Saul and Jonathan, they were the only ones with a sword that had metal. And this guy's fully protected and he's huge and he's big. And he says, I'm going to make the rules here. Here's what we're going to do. Okay, I'm the biggest guy here. I'll make the rules. You send one guy to come fight with me. And if he's able to beat me, then we'll be your servants, right? But if I kill him, then you'll be our servants and serve us. The biggest guy um, in the area, right? In the, in the battlefield gets to make the rules. And he's mocking them as well. How dare you? Why do you think you're, how, how dare you get ready for battle? Don't you see me and how big I am? You, uh, you need to be afraid. You servants of King Saul. And then, of course, the um, final aspect of all this, the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Here he is defying not only the armies of Israel, but the, arm, but, but the God of Israel as well. And he'll continue to do so. In a grievous way here. Well, what do you think the response is? Well, verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Um, interestingly, remember what God had told Samuel uh, about choosing the next king? Not to look upon their appearance or the height of their stature, right? but only God knew the heart. Here was now an opportunity for King Saul and all of Israel to not look or be afraid of the appearance or his height or his strength, but prepare their hearts to trust God. And there would only be one out of all the armies of Israel, one little shepherd teenager, let's say, that would actually do that, that would prepare his heart to do battle because of his faith in God. And now we're going to be introduced to that person because, and, and, and again, verse 11, when it says Saul's afraid, that means that Saul, the tallest man in Israel, the king, is also afraid and terrified of this man as well. And he's not looking to go to battle. And remember, Saul's all about self-protection. So he's looking at this man saying, you know, now would probably not be the time. I, I think in this situation, it probably wouldn't work out best for me as the king to battle this guy. So let's look for somebody else. Don't we have any champions in here in this army? And we're going to see what he, what he comes up with as far as a reward for the champion uh, in just a few minutes. So now we go back to verse 12 and we're introduced again to David officially and given an introduction to his gene genealogy, so to speak, that we weren't given before. Verse 12, now David was the son of that Ephratite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And Jesse, he had eight sons. And the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. That sounds a little strange. Basically, it means in the days of Saul, this man, Jesse, was already old and advanced in years. Um, so 
David here is highlighted more officially in a direct capacity as the chosen tool of the Lord. Jesse's too old for battle, but his three older sons are in a prime age for Saul's army preparing to battle the Philistines. And that's what it says next. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to battle. And the names of his three sons that went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and then next unto him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. From what we could tell from the book of Numbers, you had to be 20 years or older to serve in the military. So this means that obviously the three older brothers were at least 20 years old or older. And David was under that age, although I think at this point he was an older teenager, anywhere from 16 to 18 years old. He would still, we would consider him um, a young man and, and able to do um, military type things, but he just wasn't old enough yet to serve. All right. So verse 14, David was uh, verse 15. And David went and returned or he went, returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. This shows the um, arrangement that David had made with Saul, that at times he would be with Saul, helping Saul at other times when Jesse needed him, he'd be back home helping Jesse shepherd the sheep there in Bethlehem. Verse 16, and the Philistine drew near morning and evening. Goliath would come out in the morning. He would present himself. He would mock Israel. He would mock Israel's God. Then he would leave. Then he would come out again in the evening, mock Israel, mock Israel's God, then leave. And he did that for 40 days. And the scene kind of shifts back and forth between David and the battlefront. That's what's going on with Goliath now. Now back to David and Jesse back home in Bethlehem. And Jesse said unto David, his son, take thou now for thou brethren an ephah, or 22 liters, is what that is, of this parched corn and these 10 loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren, and carry these 10 cheeses unto the captain, oh, for a guy that can't have dairy, that sounds really good, <laughs> unto the commander of their thousand, and look how thy brethren fare. And then it says, and take their pledge, or bring some token of them back for me. So the battle has been delayed. I think what's going on here is this. The battle continues to be delayed because obviously they're stymied by Goliath coming in and out. I think um, the land of Israel thought the battle would have been over by now, and yet the battle is delayed. And when the battle is delayed, that uses up national resources, right? And it also keeps sons away from their homes where they're needed to farm the land. So this is a lose-lose situation for Israel as they continue to be scared of Philistine and this continues the Philistine army and Goliath, and this continues to drag on. And so Jesse finally says, why don't you go see what's going on over there, David, and bring them these supplies because um, they would have had to supply their own food for their, for their soldiers, the families would have. Give them these things, um, and then it goes through that list there. And just see how they're doing. But this last part says, bring some token of them. This has the idea of bring back some sort of written statement by them that they're doing okay. And this might even have the idea of a financial pledge that once the battle was over, that there would be some sort of financial remuneration for Jesse for allowing his sons to be gone so long could be part of this as well. Bring some token back. 
Now we go back to the battlefield again. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the Valley of Elah. And you see that there on your map that's going around fighting with the Philistines. So see here that the Israelites are not just cowering in a corner. They are attempting to battle against the Philistines. They are attempting to do something. But whenever Goliath comes out, that's when the whole thing stops and they can go no further. And so it must have been very frustrating. But And, and they're really, um, they're not following the principle that God told Samuel in um, trusting God when you have the appearance of a large man, a large giant in front of you, but they're all fearful. So in the midst of that, Verse 20, now we're back to David again. You like how we're switching back and forth here all the time? David rose up early in the morning. Look how responsible David is here. I think this is important. This shows us the character of David and that he had responsibilities that he was in charge of, and he made sure that they were all taken care of. First, he got up early in the morning um, to make sure that he had enough time to get done what he needed to do before he left on his trip. And then he left the sheep with a keeper. And then he went, he took the provisions. He's following and obeying his father's task that his father has asked him to do and went as Jesse commanded him. And then he goes to the battlefield. David is showing here that he is responsible in the small details of his life. And folks, even though none of us are perfect, the earlier on that we can as um, young people and, and as we grow, if, if earlier on we have this down about taking care of the details and responsibilities in our lives when we're young, it will carry us through later on in, in very helpful ways. And we see that with David here. You know, we also see David is a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd. He follows his responsibilities well. He continues to go forth. He comes to the trench of the encampment at right as the host is going forth to fight. The armies, maybe Israel saying, okay, let's try this again. They're going out to the battle line and the war cries are being shouted from the battle. Everybody's getting ready. Verse 21 for Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array or they'd drawn up for battle army against army. And David, again, he doesn't just get there and leave his baggage somewhere real quick and run off to the war to see it. But he left his provisions, his carriage, in the hand of the keeper of the carriage or the baggage. He makes sure that what he brought from his father for his brothers are safely taken care of. And then he goes running off to the army because every young boy wants to see the fight, right? He wants to see what's going on. And he wants to get news. And came and saluted or greeted his brethren. So David arrives here. He takes care of his things in a responsible way. Um, and now he's gone to the battlefield to seek and to greet his brothers. And so verse 23 here. And as he talked with them, he meets up with them. He's getting information. And he's watching as the two sides get ready for battle. And I'm sure he's getting excited. And, man, you know, I wish I could fight in the battle, but I'm not 20 years old yet. All of a sudden, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name out of the armies of the Philistine, and spake according to the same words. He does the same thing that he's been doing for many, many days, for 40 days. It's become a pattern now. There's only one change. This time, David hears his words, and that's going to make all the difference. One young man 
who has a heart for God and hears his God being mocked and being blasphemed. David now hears the words and something is going to change because of that. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. As soon as the Philistine comes out again, um, I don't know if this time he said something that was even more intimidating, but David's probably ready for everybody to start fighting. And, oh, I wish I could be part of the battle. And this tall guy comes out and the his brothers included and the military, the men, they just run. And I wonder what David's thought was as he's seeing them run. This was not what I was expecting. And it seems as if a couple of them stopped to talk to David and explain why they're running away or something of that matter. The men of Israel said, David, have you seen this man that has come up? I mean, can you see how big he is and how terrifying he is? Maybe they're trying to make excuses for why they're running away in front of this young man who's not even 20 years old yet who wants to fight, right? This, he, he's a big guy. And surely to defy Israel is he come up? Well, you think? <laughs> I'd say so. He's been defying Israel for a number of days now. And even that he, this isn't um, pointed out here, but it is in effect part of this. It says, and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches. What they're saying is even King Saul is terrified of him. But King Saul has offered for somebody who will be a champion. They have a champion. We need a champion. He's offered him um, great gifts and great blessings. The king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and will make his father's house free in Israel. That's a good deal. Of course, we're not going to take advantage of it because we're scared to death of him. But hopefully we'll find somebody who wouldn't mind having these things and will be our champion. Now, David hears all these things, and he hears about the money, and he hears about the blessings and the freedom. That, by the way, make his father's house free in Israel means freedom from some sort of taxes or whatever, which is always a nice addition, right? A nice extra. Out of all these things that David hears, look what's important to David. What's the first thing that he mentions? And David spake to the men that stood by him, cowering, right, saying, what shall be done to this man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? This is the only aspect that bothered David in this, or the most important thing that bothered him. This heathen giant dares to mock the God of Israel. That's the number one thing that bothers David. I'd say he's a man after God's own heart, wouldn't you? And he says, and furthermore, this description that he gives here, he's basically saying, um, what is the plan to deal with this giant's blasphemy? Guys, he's blaspheming our God. What's the plan? What's King Saul going to do to take care of this guy? And how are we going to deal with his insults to our nation? He's insulting us as a nation. And he's making these inquiries, right? And so the king's offer is then reported to him by others as well. Verse 27, and the people answered him after this manner, saying, so shall it be done to the man that killeth him. Everybody's ready to give information, but nobody's ready to fight the blasphemer. And David is definitely bothered by this. Again, we see his character here, don't we? That is the thing that bothers him the most. Well, we're going to see that um, even in the midst of this story, there's some normal 
everyday rivalry that rears its head here. Sibling rivalry rears its head. And uh, for those of us that have siblings, we can understand this. Um, for those of us that have boys, we can understand this too. The oldest brother is fearful. Maybe David has seen Eliab, his oldest brother, running away. And Eliab hears what David has to say. And now he's threatened by his baby brother's courage that his little brother, who's not even in the army yet, isn't afraid and wants to know what they're going to do. And so Eliab basically slanders David. He says this, Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why camest thou down hither? Or why'd you come down here, David? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know you left those sheep. You're being irresponsible. I bet you didn't find anybody to watch over those sheep at all. And I know thy pride, or really it has the word presumption here. He is accusing David of the same sin that the Bible says that Saul had. Presumption. He's doing his own thing rather than doing what God wants him to do. And the naughtiness, or really has the idea of the evil of thine heart. For thou art come that thou mightest see the battle. So there's a lot of accusations his oldest brother throws his way here. Except for the fact that we've already been told that none of these are true. David has been responsible. David took care of the sheep. Every one of these things that his brother is accusing him of are not true. It's literally slander. He's slandering his own brother right in front of these armies. David's actually been very responsible. You know something? In his reaction to David, this oldest brother actually proves why he was passed over for being anointed king. His heart is not right before God. And it makes that clear. And he accuses David, again, of the very sin Saul struggled with. Um, and this, we can tell from David's response here that this was probably a regular conversational pattern with the two, that they would regularly talk like this to each other. Because David says here, look at his response. David says, what have I now done? What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Literally, the Hebrew here for that phrase means, was it not a word? Some translations translate it as, was, is there not a cause? Probably what's going on here, this is what David is saying. Eliab, what have I done to offend you now? <laughs> I'm always offending you. You're always, you're always picking on me. Or you're, you're always coming up with something against me. And probably he doesn't add this, but you could add, and most of the time it's slander. It's not true. Obviously, Eliab has a pattern here. And David just, that's all that he says to his brother. He's wise. He doesn't slander his brother back. Did you hear that, boys, by the way? Just pointing that out for any brothers in here that are brothers. He doesn't get back at him and, I'm going to tell dad, you know. And uh, or try to go around, Eliab's lying about me. What he said isn't true. He just passes it off and says, really? But really, Eliab, you're going to do this again? And then he just moves on. That's all he does. That's a good way to handle brothers that are irritating you. Okay, we'll talk more about that later. So David continues on. And when the words were heard, which David spake, Oh, I'm sorry, verse 30. 
And he turned from him. He just turns from his brother altogether and continues his conversation with other people toward another and spake after the same matter. And the people answered him again after the former matter or as before. He's getting information for people. And when the words were heard, which David spake, they were repeated before Saul. And Saul hears these words and he sent for him. Saul's probably thinking word eventually reaches the king that there is a young boy who's very interested in what's going on. And yet Saul doesn't know that he's young. And Saul's probably thinking, finally, I have my champion. Yes, somebody that's actually interested in fighting this giant. So I don't have to. This is great. And then he comes before Saul and Saul realizes it's David. And he's not even 20 years old yet. And we're going to finish up here and get to this exciting part next week. Um, Bill will be happy about that. But David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Now, is this bravado on David's part? Is David just speaking um, with lack of experience, not having been battle tested, you know, naivete? I can do it. Yeah, he's nine foot nine, but I'm David. I'm a shepherd boy. And Saul doesn't know yet that I killed a bear and a lion. Wait till I tell him that. No, this, this isn't bravado or this isn't false um, confidence at all. This is a young man who realizes that this giant before um, God's people is a blasphemer, is a heathen who is mocking his God and that he needs to be dealt with. And David has faith that God will enable him to deal with it because somebody's got to deal with it. And nobody is. They're all running the other way. Somebody has to do the right thing. And David wants to do the right thing here. Before Saul, he says, Saul, don't you worry. The 16 to 18-year-old boy here, these full-blown military grown men all running away. And he comes to the king. Don't worry, king. I'll go and fight with this Philistine. What are you facing today? that makes you fearful or that scares you that God has put in your life. And you look at the situation that you're in, you say, Lord, this is big. I don't know how I'm going to do this. In fact, I'd rather just avoid this altogether. I'd rather not deal with it at all. And unfortunately, sometimes when we have situations like that, maybe it's family conflict. Um, maybe it's a financial situation. Sometimes we choose to just avoid or flee, and we forget that even in the midst of a really big crisis, that we have a really big, much bigger, greater God who can take care of that for us. And we can respond like David and say, you know what? I'm going to do what's right. Don't worry. I'm not worried because I know God can take care of this. I've seen what God has done in my life in the past, and I know God can take care of my future. And even as we go to prayer tonight, let's have that commitment. Let's not be, some of these things may be big that we pray for tonight, but let's say, Lord, these are big prayer requests. These are things that we really, we don't know the answers to, but we know that you're an all-powerful God, most high Lord of hosts, and that you can answer and you can deal with these things. And let's go confidently with the confidence that David had.
that God's going to do something. David's not confident in his own strength, in other words. He's confident in his all-powerful God. And he knows it's not David versus Goliath, but he knows it's Yahweh versus Goliath. And Yahweh is always going to win. And we can be confident of that as well.